Okay, maybe this is you, is it? Uh, maybe you're visiting London City Presbyterian Church for the first time. You've sat through the first part of the service. And maybe it's just hit you which portion of scripture it is that we're going to be studying this morning. And maybe you cannot believe your misfortune uh, of all the portions of scripture uh, for us to be studying when you're in town. It's that difficult, that terrible, awful portion of scripture involving Judas Iscariot. And maybe you cannot believe your misfortune and you are expecting now a most dark and dismal and difficult sermon. Is is that you? Is that what you're thinking? Do you know what? If it is, you're maybe not a million miles away from the truth. This is an awful section of scripture. Don't you think? Isn't it awful that, that, that man can turn against God, that man can betray the Son of God over to death. It's awful, isn't it? I want to say this to you, it's not all doom and gloom. Because I want you to see that even here, even in the darkness that engulfs Gethsemane, do you know what? The light of the gospel of God, it shines. This morning, yes, we're going to see about the sin in man's heart. Of course we are in Gethsemane. We're going to see more about the Christian walk this morning. But I think supremely here, we are shown more about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are shown about the Lord of glory, the one... Who offers today forgiveness and he offers it through his death and resurrection. It's not all doom and gloom. The first thing that I think we must notice here is the subterfuge or the deception. The subterfuge. Now, if you were here last week, if you're part of the congregation, then you'll remember, I think... From the reading, you'll remember exactly where we are. Where are we? We're in, we're in Gethsemane. And we've just witnessed something incredible, don't you think? We've witnessed the most intense outpouring of emotion. It was like a tidal wave, don't you think? It's this, almost this tsunami, this tidal wave of anguish. It kind of washed over the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember? Then what's happened? Do you remember it? We, we saw that, yes, Jesus comes through this crisis and we've witnessed his, his resolve. Do you remember it? Rise, rise, his resolve, go to the cross. And we left things last week as Jesus lifts up his head, he lifts up his eyes and what does he see before him? He sees the betrayer approach. I mean, what a cliffhanger, right? Here comes the betrayer. Now, let's notice just now a couple of details about this company or this kind of posse that's just entered into Gethsemane. First thing to notice is the way that the betrayer is described in verse 43. See if you can see it in verse 43. How's he described, the betrayer? We're told that it's Judas, but what does Mark say? He was one of the... He's one of the twelve. Now, again, if you've been part of LCPC for this sermon series, what do you know? You know we've been told this already, right? 
Mark's already told us that Judas was one of the, the twelve. Now, because we've been told this, some of the commentators are utterly ludicrous at this point. Because what they say is that this is an example of Mark's forgetfulness. That Mark has forgotten that he's told us that Judas was one of the disciples. Now, I'm hoping, you see, that's not what this is. Like, do you see what Mark is doing here? He's reminding you of one of the most shocking truths in all of human history. That the Son of God was betrayed by one of his own. Isn't that it? Mark said, look at it. Remember what's happening here. This was somebody who's professed to love Jesus. Somebody who's walked with Jesus. Who's Judas? Why is this? Judas is one of the, one of the twelve. Then the second thing that we've got to notice here is where this posse, this company comes comes from because you notice didn't you it's not just judas who's coming into this garden he's with a he's with he's with a crowd and i think honestly we could get the idea of a crowd wrong here like i think we could have in our minds when we read gethsemane that this is a bit of a sort of disorganized rabble you know maybe the idea that judas starts off in his home with a couple of baddies and he winds his way through Jerusalem at night, through the streets, and he calls for some other guys to come with him, and they come out of the pubs and the clubs of Jerusalem with their swords, and, and, and eventually they all sort of gather together, and it's this big, disorganized rabble. Gethsemane, if you're thinking that, you are wrong, because look at verse 43 again. We are told that these men, they actually come from the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. So you know who they are. The three groups that make up the Sanhedrin. You see the religious body. Do you see what that means? This is, this is a sanctioned delegation. I mean, this is, this is not disorganized. This is an organized rabble we have here. And when you put those two little details together, aren't you shocked? Who is it that betrays your Lord? You have a disciple, someone who is supposed to be close to Christ, and you have the religious leaders, those who are supposed to teach about Christ. And what are they doing? Are they pointing people to Jesus? They are conspiring together to betray and to arrest the Lord of glory. Isn't it shocking? Isn't it shocking? But more than this company, you know, the posse, the crowd, I think it's the sign that they use that we've got it to look at and think about here. So, uh, friends, would you permit me to do this? just want to speak to the, the children here uh, just for a moment. Last week, I asked the, the children a couple of questions. One was really easy and one was actually a little bit more difficult. This week, boys and girls, the question I've got for you is really easy, but you'll have to shout it out very loudly, okay? Make sure everyone hears the answer to the question. So if anyone's sleeping, you can, you can wake them up with your, your shouting, okay? So, we're in Gethsemane, and Jesus is betrayed, boys and girls. Here's the question, you ready? What sign does Judas use to betray Jesus? 
a kiss. So Judas betrays Jesus, boys and girls got it, and he does so with a kiss? What is this? A man greeting another man uh, with a kiss? That might be alright in France. Uh, I'm a Scottish Highlander. I'm not so... Uh, conv- what is what is this? Well, I think, friends, that we, we we've got to understand that this is this is mundane. Do you understand this? This this idea. This was a normal greeting. In fact, I think what we've got to understand is that this would have been expected. Do you understand that that a follower, a pupil, would have been expected to greet the rabbi and a teacher with a kiss? That this was expected. Do you know what this was? This was just a sign of respect. This is just the most basic sign of honour and respect. And I'm saying to you, doesn't that make it? Doesn't that make it even worse? It's a sign of respect. Like, do you not look into Gethsemane and you think, what a sham this is? Like, what a pretense? Like, Christ is betrayed and betrayed with a, with a smiling face. Like, God is betrayed. There's such evil here. But it's all done behind this sort of veil, this cloak of decency. Christ betrayed and it's an act of, it's an act of friendship. You look at this and you think, what a sham! What a sham! But I want to ask you, friends, is that true of you just now? Like as you sit in London City Presbyterian Church, do you know in your heart of heart that your supposed relationship with Jesus, that's just a sham? Do you know it? Do you know it's just a pretense? Do you know that, do you know that really and truly that you do not love Jesus Christ, that you have never sought forgiveness from God, that you you do not, you've never bowed to Jesus. Do, do you know that's true of you? In fact, worse, do you think that's okay? That you've never bowed, that you've never been born again, never fallen in repentance before Christ. Do you think that's okay? I'll, I'll respect God. I'll show him some honor. I will attend Church, I will try and live in a certain way, and it's fine. And what do you see when you look in at Gethsemane? What do you see when you look at Judas? Surely you see that is not okay. Understand, friend, that to merely respect Jesus, ultimately it is a betrayal. And it is you betraying God Almighty. So we see the subterfuge. The second thing we see is the the seizing in Gethsemane. The seizing in Gethsemane. And and I think with this we come really to a very, very solemn moment in Mark's gospel. I'm just gonna read it to you and can try and and try and picture what happens here. It's verse 46. Just these words. Aren't they solemn? Listen. They now laid hands on Jesus. And they seized him. And you can see what Mark is describing. Can't you? They've had the signal from Judas. And now some of the members of that crowd. And they're armed. And some of them really advance, don't they? And they, they go to Jesus and they they. They, at this moment, grab him violently. That's your Lord. Isn't it sinister? 
Isn't it? Isn't it solemn? But I, I also think the reaction to this is really worthy of our attention just now. Do you see what happens? We're told that at this point somebody nearby draws their sword, takes out their sword, and what do they do with it? We know this. We're taught this from such a young age. They cut off the ear of the high priest's servant, don't they? They cut off the ear. Now, I love the way that the Bible deals with this because it's like watching a sort of murder mystery you know what that's like when you're watching it on Netflix or something on TV, uh, where there's, there'll be a, a crime, but they'll stretch out the details through various episodes, and you're watching this, and you're always asking episode after episode, who done it? Who done it? Well, doesn't the Bible do that with this ear being cut off? Because what does Mark tell you? Mark only gives you a little snippet. Mark tells you that it was somebody nearby, and you've got to wait till you get into Matthew's Gospel to learn that it was... Oh, it was a disciple. Then you've got to wait for Luke's gospel to learn, oh, it was the right ear that was cut off and you're on the edge of your feet. And it's not until you get into John's gospel that John makes it clear. Look, it was Malchus's ear. And who done it? Peter. Peter was the one who drew his sword and cut off, cut off the ear, draws it out. Now, I think it's very interesting to note that in the other accounts, Jesus is swift to condemn Peter for this. Do you understand? Like in the end, Jesus is, 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 is on very, very quickly. He condemns and rejects this violent act. Now, you probably noticed in the reading that that's not present in Mark at all. Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter here in Mark. But I'll say this to you. I think the same theme is before us this morning. The theme of Jesus renouncing violence. I'll show you what I mean. Um, a couple of years ago, I was listening to a sermon. You know, sometimes you listen to a sermon and it sticks with you. And it'll be with you maybe for the rest of your life. I was, a couple of years ago, I was listening to a sermon um, online. It's a sermon by a Presbyterian minister from the deep south in America. I will resist the temptation to try and impersonate his accent. Um, but it was a wonderful sermon on Gethsemane. It was a wonderful sermon. And everything spoke. Although he said this, I wonder if you agree with this. He said that at this point when Jesus is getting arrested, that he is entirely calm and always quiet and collected all the way through the arrest. And everything in that sermon was wonderful. I'm not sure that I agree with that. Because you look at verse 48 with me. Look at verse 48. Does it not seem as though Jesus is at least irritated? Could we not even say that Jesus is angry at, at this point? Do you see what he says? He, he says that you've... If you come for me like this, Jesus looking to the crowd, you, you've come for me like I'm a robber, like I'm like I'm a criminal. You, you come for me and you, you're, you've got your sword and you've got your club. Do you see? Is Jesus not irritated? Is Jesus not angry? Do you see why he's angry here? They're making an, an insinuation against Jesus, aren't they? Like by coming for our Lord like this at night. And they're coming for him, armed to the teeth, and coming for him like this this huge big crowd. They're suggesting he's going to be violent, 
suggesting that maybe Jesus is going to be a threat, suggesting he's going to retaliate, he's going to be aggressive. And what do you know of Jesus? You know nothing could be further from the truth. What does Jesus say? Well, you're coming from me now. Why didn't you come in the daylight? Why didn't you come just a couple of you? Why didn't you come? Because I wasn't, I wasn't creating rockets. I wasn't being violent. What does he say? He's like, I was teaching. I was teaching no violence. I was teaching. And friends, isn't there in that the most obvious but important lesson for the Christian church? You and, and, and me, what must we do? We've got to follow in Jesus' peace-loving footsteps. Don't we? We've got to be peace-loving as Christians. Now that is a, as an overarching truth for Christianity. We have to distance ourselves from other religions of this world who will say that force is acceptable to, to advance their message. We distance ourselves. It's an overarching truth for Christianity. But is it not also a personal truth for you and your witness to God? Because what is Jesus doing here? He is rejecting in Gethsemane the idea of force. So what do we do? We have to speak. We've got to tell people. We've got to tell this dying and dead city about the gospel. We have to tell them about Christ. But what mustn't we do? We mustn't be forceful with this. We mustn't be aggressive with our witness. In fact, wait, what does First Peter 3.15 teach us? First Peter 3.15 I think this is a great example of us knowing part of a verse and not at all. Because I bet you know this part of it. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the, for, uh, to give the reason for the hope that you have. We know that part, don't we? Always be prepared to give an answer. The hope you've got. What's the next part of the verse though? It says, always be prepared to give an answer, but do this with gentleness. Do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. You see, we, we are to proclaim the message of Gethsemane, the message of good news, but we're not to do that with force. So we see the subterfuge, we see the seizing. Thirdly, we see the sprinting. The sprinting in Gethsemane. <coughs> Excuse me. You know what it's like if you study your Bible. Some sections of Scripture, you come and you open it, and there is an obvious standout verse. Isn't that right? You come and you read the chapter of scripture. And sometimes there's just a verse that catches your eye. And you know it's the, it's the high point. It's the apex of this portion of scripture. It's memorable. It's clearly the pinnacle of this portion of scripture. Now, I'm sure you'd agree with me. There's so much going on in Gethsemane. There's so many important things happening. It's quite difficult for, for us to picture what is the apex, the climax of Gethsemane. But I think I would go along with a lot of the commentators that say that verse 50 is the climax. And I'll just read it for you. or give you the idea. Judas comes in. He kisses Jesus identifies Jesus. The crowd grab him. Jesus responds. The ear has been cut off and we learn that the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ they leave him. They leave him. They leave him and they flee. Now, let me just mention a few things about that. First of all, 
Consider that that is a fulfillment of prophecy. Now, you, you know this if you've been part of this sermon series. One of the great things about going through a book like this is the fact that we know what has come before in the section. And what has come before? Jesus has predicted that these men will flee and fall away. We know that, don't we? But even knowing that, isn't the immediacy of this just startling? Look at your Bibles and look at verse 31. Verse 31, previous section here. Look at that. It was just... It was just a moment ago that those disciples all said that they would rather die than desert him. That just, that just happened a minute ago. And now, same night, people, just, what is it, an hour later, two hours later, look what they're doing. They're all running away. Then consider... That that desertion is comprehensive. I wonder, I wonder how you're picturing Gethsemane. I mean, what, what do you think Mark is describing there? Like, do you think that the majority of the disciples run when Jesus is grabbed? But maybe you think, because Peter has already got a sword drawn, that he's up for a bit of a fight? You thinking that? Maybe you think, maybe it's James and John. You know, the sons of thunder. Maybe you think, no, they're taking a stand on this. And they're sort of, come and have a go. If you think you're hard enough. You know, maybe that's what you think's happening. Everyone flees, but they stay. Is that what you think? Listen to this. In the Greek text, what Mark does is he leaves the word all to the very end of the sentence. And he leaves it there for emphasis. Do you see it? Jesus in Gethsemane was abandoned and abandoned by them all. They all left him. Everyone left him. And then consider the example of desertion you're given because there's this, we call it a strange moment. In verse 51 and verse 52, it's a little bit strange, isn't it? Where this man runs off into the night and he leaves his tunic behind and he scarpers. And it's a bit strange, but it's also a bit difficult because maybe you'd agree with me that it seems almost humorous. Like when I was a wee boy in Sunday school, I thought this was hilarious. You know, a wee five-year-old or six-year-old. I thought it was so funny. This picture of this guy... You know, having to strip off and run naked through in the streets of Jerusalem. And I thought it was funny and it's not funny, is it? I mean, you see what it is? It's an example of the abandoning of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it? That it's there to show you just how... Desperate people were to get away from our Lord. How utterly desperate they were to not be associated with Jesus. To get out of there. To do anything. Determined. Get away from him. Leave him alone. Leave him abandoned. Leave him forsaken. And I wonder this though. I wonder if you see why he is left unnamed. This young man. There's no name. Why? Now, I know some people have assumed that it's Mark 
that Mark is actually sort of writing himself into the gospel. Some people think that's what, like a little autobiographical signature. Oh, you know, that was me. Some people think that it's actually someone that would have been known to Mark's first readers in Rome. His first readers would go, oh, I know who that is. Now, that's all speculation. All speculation. Do you see why he's left unnamed? It is to challenge you. It's to raise a question in your mind. One writer says this, the man's lack of identity, it invites you, the reader, to examine your own readiness to abandon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I wonder, is God speaking to you in this portion of scripture this morning? Is that what's happening right now? Are you, as you came into this church today, are you thinking you're ready to abandon Jesus, abandon the church, abandon your faith? Is that it? Pressure in your life, difficulty in your life, ready to flee from all of this. What's God saying? Surely he's saying to you this morning, you stay. In fact, you do more than that today. You recommit yourself this morning. And you recommit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the subterfuge, we see the seizing, we see the sprinting, and we end this morning with the submission. Without trying to sound like too much of a a wuss, I struggled a bit to get through the sermon last week. If you were there, you, I think, understand why. We were confronted last week when we we studied Gethsemane with the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, weren't we? I mean, that scene of our Savior sorrowing to the point of death. I mean, the humanity, the human nature of Jesus was there, wasn't it? It was just, it confronted us last week. Well, I want to end this morning with the other side of the coin. I want to end with the other aspect of the person of Jesus. Because I want to ask you a question. Who is it we are studying here this morning? Like, who is it when you gaze into the orchard at Gethsemane, this garden at night time, who is it you're seeing Who's this man who's just been seized and arrested? Who is he? How would the Apostle Paul have put it? What did we read earlier on, friends? Who's the man between the trees? He is the image of the invisible God. That's who's just been arrested in Gethsemane. Isn't it? He's the firstborn of, of all creation. The one who is said to receive the whole of the inheritance of creation. That's him. Paul would say to us, see the man in Gethsemane, by him all things were created. Things in heaven, things in earth, the visible, the invisible, all things. Everything created by him, through him, for him. Paul would say that he is before all things. In this man in Gethsemane, all things hold together. Isn't that a stunning thought? He's just been arrested. And who is he? He's the son of God. He's the one who can say before 
Abraham was, I am. And when you consider the exalted identity of this man against me, surely you're also, also thinking how easy it would have been for the Lord Jesus Christ to evade capture. Imagine how easy it would have been. I mean, I'm asking you, could the one who formed Africa, could he not have just simply loosened the ropes around his wrists? He could have. And so surely we ask, why does he not evade capture? Why does he not summon up the power that he has at his fingertips? Destroy those wicked men. He could have destroyed Jerusalem. Just willed it. Look at the end of verse 49. He gives you the answer. He says simply, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Do you see it? Do you? He knows that this arrest is part of God's plan. That God is not just allowing this to happen to him. Jesus knows he is conscious in Gethsemane that this is decreed by God. This wicked, treacherous detention, it is part of the plan of Almighty God. So what does Jesus do? He submits. Isn't it remarkable? He submits and he goes willingly with this posse of horrible, wicked, evil man. Man, he goes willingly out of Gethsemane. And I hope this morning that you see the ultimate purpose behind this. I hope you see why he does it. Because friend, Christian friend, I want to say this to you. He did that. He did it for you. Jesus looks on from Gethsemane. He looks forward. He sees the 21st century church. He looks into London City Presbyterian Church. He sees you and he knew you would have been lost. He knows you would have been lost. He knows that you would have faced destruction. You would have faced hell. You would have faced the wrath of a God that you would have been separated from because of your sinfulness. He knows that you needed a representative, someone to work on your behalf, someone to achieve what you could never, ever, ever achieve. He knows this. He knows it. And for you, he yields. He submits to those wicked men. He does it for you. He does it for your salvation so surely if you're a Christian this morning, you, you, you praise Christ Jesus. Do you not, do you not join me just now and your brothers and sisters in Christ? And do you not cry out, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to do that for me. Thank you for going with those horrible men in the fear and the trauma of it all. Thank you, Jesus. Does this not lead to praise? But if you are not a Christian in here, perhaps the visitor that I mentioned at the start of the sermon, if you have not trusted in Christ, I really want to know, what are you going to do now? I mean, you gaze into Gethsemane and what do you see? You see your only hope of salvation and forgiveness. You see there the Son of Almighty God, what are you going to do? 
Surely it's this moment in here just now that you finally, long, long last, you also yield. And you submit just now to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Is that not what you are going to do this morning? Repent and believe in the Lord of glory. Let's pray.